Thanks for listening to our messages from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources and information on connecting people to Jesus for life change, visit us online at southbridgefellowship.com. One day, every knee will bow and tongue confess Jesus is Lord. We were just singing that song, and I was thinking about what it's going to be like in heaven. That there's going to be people, so not just every tribe and every tongue and every nation, but throughout all of history, people from different tribes and different tongues, different nations to be gathered together. And for us to be able to gather together here today, hopefully, it's just a small little taste of what that's going to be like. And I'm glad you're here. What an amazing day to be together, huh? Amen. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand for sure. If you didn't know, this is our grand opening. If you got a little invite card that said it was last week, uh, we had some snow, and it's just ironic, and I'll tell you a little bit more in the message, but just ironic that God would delay our grand opening in light of our church's story and just our history. Uh, but being here together today, I'll tell you, uh, for me, as pastor, is, is just a culmination of 11 and a half years, not just of setting up and tearing down. I've said to a couple of the guys that have served historically on the tech team, I was like, can you believe there's no cables to run this morning? Can you believe that? And there's, there's a, can we give a hand to anybody who's ever been on the setup team, teardown team? For sure. But, and, and super thankful for the setup and teardown team, but being here is a culmination of 11 and a half years of faithfulness by many people from multiple churches, two churches specifically, uh, giving, uh, just thinking about that. When you walk around this campus today, by the way, all, everything here is paid for. That's totally by God's grace and the faithfulness of multiple people. Yeah, for sure. So we don't have the burden of uh, paying for these buildings, which just allows us to get outside these walls even more and make a difference for Jesus Christ. Because our hope is, is that this place is not just a, you know, a place to come and be comfortable as Christians and learn the word. We want to do that, and we're going to pray, and it'll be a house of prayer and see lives transformed here. But really, it's a place for us to be sent out into the city and around the globe. And uh, so we believe this is a gospel resource. And today, it's awesome. We're going to celebrate. We're, we're glad to be together today. But this isn't a finish line. This is a starting line. And uh, yeah, for sure. Now, if y'all clap every time I say something, it's going to be like the State of the Union. Y'all are going to be here until next Sunday, just so you know. But you might get me going. I'll really start preaching. All right, all right, let's go. I haven't even opened up the Bible yet. So. But uh, we're, we're pumped to be here. If you're a guest with us today, uh, there's a little card at the bottom of your, your worship program. It's a connection card. If you fill it out, take it out to the, the tent. We've got some special gifts for you. But one more thing you're probably going to clap and yell about, because I know you all have t-shirts. Everybody here gets a gift today. We've got t-shirts out in the lobby just to celebrate. You were part of this, the church at this significant moment at our grand opening. So we can give the Lord a hand for some t-shirts. I see some of you. Some of you are like, I don't know. Should I? Go for it. You're allowed to talk to me, just so you know. It's interactive. If you're a doubter and a skeptic and you hate what I say, say, I don't know about that. We can go back and forth. It'll be awesome. You might end up on the stage. Uh, and if you affirm it, amen. We'll just keep going. We love it. Uh, but one of the things we've always done as a church is this. We're a church that exists to connect people to Jesus for life change. And we believe the Bible. We believe the Bible is authoritative in our lives. And so we always open up the scriptures and see how it points us to Jesus. Because every passage of scripture in the Bible actually points us to Jesus, Old Testament and New Testament. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to open up the Bible and continue in the series we're doing for Christmas called God on Mission. And so I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray just a prayer of dedication for this, this facility, this gospel resource. I want to pray for the people that God's brought here. He's brought you here today for a reason. And God's got a plan for your life. And maybe you trusted Jesus 25 years ago. You're not done taking steps of faith. And maybe you're wondering about Jesus today and you're not sure if you really believe in this stuff. God's got a plan for your life. And so let's just pray about it right now. Father God, thank you for the opportunity to gather in this place. I pray that this, this specific building would become a house of prayer. I pray that when people walk through the doors of that lobby, they wouldn't know why, but they would sense your presence. 
that you would speak into hearts and lives. I pray as we open up the Bible right now in this moment, but for years to come, that your spirit would walk up and down the aisles of these, these rows and, and, and these different seats and you'd just tap people on the shoulder and speak into their hearts, words of conviction where there's sin that needs to be dealt with, words of encouragement where there's discouragement, that you'd tell people about who they really are when they're believing lies, that you'd take out lies and put in truth. And God, I pray you'd, you'd speak freedom to those that are in bondage. And God, I pray that this place, this campus, that, that there would be people that would even come on Tuesdays and Wednesdays when there's nothing happening, they just sense that you're here. And that you draw people in that are just driving by, that aren't even planning on going to church, and that you'd save them and they become leaders in our church someday. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we're doing this series called God on Mission, and we're talking about Christmas story type stuff. And today's passage of scripture is not going to be one of those passages, though. It's going to be Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bible, you can go there. But if you think about the Christmas story as a whole, if you, if you put it in modern day context, wouldn't it be like a best selling book? or a blockbuster movie, because think about the different elements. I'm, I'm assuming that everyone here has got some familiarity with the Christmas story. Maybe you haven't been to church in a long time, but at least you've been to Target or Walmart. You've seen the plastic nativity scenes. You've got some familiarity, or maybe you've seen uh, Christmas, not a Hallmark special. Please don't watch those. They're cursed. But, but you've watched them. Hey, all right, we've got a couple other clapping. L little girls, there aren't that many princes in the world. Just FYI, just so you know. Some grumbles too, I hear that like Israelites out there. But anyway, <clears throat> think about the Christmas story. Blockbuster movie, what do they have in it? There's going to be some scandal. Think about the scandal of the Christmas story. It's not just a couple in a precarious situation. You've got a young girl in a time when it's not okay to be pregnant when you're not married, who's pregnant. Not only is she not married, she's claiming to be a virgin, but that's not the scandal. She's claiming her child is God's son. That's a scandal. But not only is there a scandal, think about the intrigue. We looked a couple weeks ago as a church at Matthew chapter 2. There are men, we call them wise men, these magicians, these wizards that came from Babylon 900 miles away to come see this little child. So there's intrigue. If you notice how, if, you, if you've lived maybe you're 30 years old or older and you see special effects change in movies over the years. So if you go back and watch some movie you thought was really cool a long time ago, E.T., Goonies, whatever movie, to pick your generation, Mission Impossible, you start picking them and you're like, that was amazing. And then you watch it now you're like, that is lame. Because their special effects aren't as cool as you thought they were when you first saw them. Our, our technology still hasn't caught up with what God did. Think about the special effects. Him showing up to a bunch of shepherds out in a field and the glory of God showing around them. We've got special effect action. Think about action. When Herod sends his hitmen to kill all the babies that are two and under in Bethlehem. You've got action, you've got scandal, and there's drama. I'm about to offend anyone here who's currently pregnant. And so I already know that. Don't email me. Love you. I'll talk to you in the hallway. <laughs> if you've been pregnant, though, you'll probably think this is funny. Because tragedy and time equals humor, just so you know. And I'm often uh, negligent in my home of going too fast. But, so here I go. Think about this. You have a woman in this story who is just a few days away from giving birth to a baby. And her husband takes her on a three-day journey... <laughs> For, you tell me there isn't any drama, ladies? There is drama. Then the Bible might not write down all the details that happened, but I'm going to tell you, there were some fights between Joseph and Mary. A three-day journey? Come on. On a donkey. It's not even a minivan. Come on, ladies. <laughs> so you got action. you got drama. you got special effects. you got intrigue. you got all the elements there. But you know what I think we do sometimes, especially those of us who are familiar with the story? As we focus in on the details and we miss the big picture, why did he come? 
And then you put it into our context, and you think about the traditions we have. We all have traditions that we do uh, at Christmas time. How many of you here decorate for Christmas? You decorate a tree, you hang some stockings, maybe you put some lights up, different things. Some of you won't raise your hand no matter what question I ask you. I got you. But 98% of us, we decorate for Christmas. How many of you here just that curious decorate the outside of your house? You put lights on the outside of your house, put that up. Any Clark Griswolds? Like you have the, your meters running, like you're going crazy on that. Anybody here who decorates their house, like there's another level from Clark Griswold, just so you know. The movie didn't know about these people. You have to tune your radio to enjoy their lights. Anybody here do that? Anybody like that? We had one on the first service, no? Bunch of Scrooges here. Anyway, <laughs> the people who do that, I'm so thankful for them because I take my kids, I don't do it, so I'm a Scrooge too, I guess. But I take my kids to their house so I can see their, what they've done. It's amazing, their minds and how they put all that together. and It's awesome, I love it. But I was watching a guy, on, just flipping through my social media the other day, his name's Paul David Tripp. Some of you know him as an author and speaker. And he made an observation about about our decorating that I hadn't thought about. Now, it's not wrong. He wasn't saying it was wrong to decorate. I'm not saying it's wrong that we decorate. But he wondered if it's like a metaphor for some of our lives. That we decorate them with a bunch of pretty stuff so we don't have to deal with the emptiness that's actually inside. And he went on to talk about, and something we've all probably heard if you've been at church before, is that we make Christmas about created things and we exchange all these gifts. And he said, isn't that ironic that that we celebrate with a bunch of created, our bondage to a bunch of creation, when the creator became creation to free us from our bondage to creation. And so I think about the traditions we have, and I think about the Christmas story, and I wonder if we miss the whole point of why Jesus came. And that's what this, this whole Christmas series is about, God on Mission. Why did Jesus come? He came, let me tell you why he came. He came on a rescue mission. He came on a mission to seek and save that which was lost. That's you and that's me. And then in those of you who get found, he invites you in on the mission with him. And so some of us sit around in North Raleigh and we're like, what is, what's God's purpose for my life? What is his mission? And, and he's telling us in the scripture, it's, it's kind of like uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was November 11th, I was preaching, second service, coming to the end of the message, and somebody's phone went off. <laughs> Ever heard that at church before? Somebody's phone goes, it's never the guy who's like fixing his fantasy roster, by the way. You know, and I know that happens. We got cameras in the back. Just kidding. Uh, you're fixing your fantasy roster. Somebody calls you, you just hit ignore. It goes away. No one knows. It's always the person that's like enthralled in the sermon. And their phone's in some pocket. They didn't know where it was. Like they're look, or it's buried in the bottom of some purse, but it sounds like it's coming through the PA system. Yeah. Always at the crucial moment. And so I'm preaching this message and it wasn't one phone. About 15 or 20 phones went off. And so I'm standing up there as a speaker, and I'm thinking, do you remember some of you were there? you remember that? What in the world's going on? So I wrap up the message, and after the service is over, I go check my own phone. I had an Amber Alert. Those of you who know what an Amber Alert is, you just moaned. I know, I know some of you are with me. Amber Alert's when they announce that a child's been taken. The police are looking for them, and they'll say, you know, Silver Mazda, Black Tahoe, whatever, in the child's description. What would you do if your kid was taken? Let me tell you, whatever it takes, that's what you'd do. The Christmas story is our Amber Alert that God's on a mission for his children. He's coming after them. And anybody who has any information, anybody who knows what we're talking about, you're invited into the mission. So let's see it today. Why? Why did he come? There's multiple answers in the Bible, and we're going to see three of them today. I titled today's message, Called, Cleansed, and Commissioned. And those of you who like to take notes, that's the outline for today, by the way, too. Jesus is calling us, Jesus cleanses us, and Jesus is still commissioning us. And so we're going to see it in Luke chapter 5, if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, if you have your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, the verses will be up on the screen like we always do. And what, the way this passage starts is, is that Luke writes out this. He says, after this, we can't just start there. After what? Well, it's obviously after what came right before it. But I believe that Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, is a culmination of everything that's happened in Luke chapter 5. 
In fact, I believe it's a culmination of everything that's happened in the Gospel of Luke up until this point. But in Luke chapter 5, we get the whole thing. Just in verses 1 through 11, what you see is that Jesus has just called Peter to, come follow, to, to drop his fishing nets and to come be a fisher of men. What in the world does that mean? We'll talk about it in a little bit. And then in verse 12 through 16, there's this leper that comes to Jesus. And he asks to be cleansed by Jesus. And Jesus cleanses him. And then in the rest of the chapter up to our passage today, in verses 17 through 26, there's this paralyzed guy. He can't get to Jesus. His friends are carrying him on a mat. He's got these four friends that are carrying him. They must have been engineers because what they do is they get to this house that's packed. They climb up on top of the house and they, they some pulley system or something, they lower this man down in front of Jesus and everyone's expecting Jesus to talk about this man's legs and he says, your sins are forgiven. Cleansing, that's real cleansing, spiritual cleansing, which I'll give you an opportunity to receive today at the end of this message. And then after this is where we're at in this passage. After this, we get a glimpse at the commission. After this, he went out and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting in a tax booth. And he said to him, he calls him, follow me. Leaving everything, he rose. He's repenting. He's turning from his old life to a new life. He's being cleansed and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. Levi's probably the, the wealthiest disciple that Jesus had. He's got this large house. There's this huge banquet here. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees, these are the, if you see Pharisees and scribes, you don't know who those guys are, just think of the most uptight religious person you've ever met. That's them. They're right here in the Bible. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled, of course they did, that's what they do, at his disciples, not at Jesus, at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? That's how pious people say sinners, just so you know. Sinners. <laughs> and remember, they're talking to the disciples. The uptight religious people talking to the disciples. And then it says, and Jesus, and Jesus is like, uh, this question's actually for me. I got this one. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And here we see this culmination of the entire chapter summarized in this one encounter that Jesus has with this tax collector named Levi. He calls him, cleanses him, and commissions this guy. And we see the calling here. He says in verse 32, I didn't, call, I didn't come to call righteous. Does that mean there's people that Jesus hasn't called? No, here's the reality. Jesus called everybody. He's using a teaching technique here that I love. I use it with my children. If you'd like the excuse to use it with your children, you can justify it with this verse. He uses sarcasm here. It's not the greatest parenting technique. I doubt you'll ever go to a conference where they tell you to use that. And so if we need to edit this out of the video, that's totally fine. But here's the deal. He's being he know, Jesus knows in the Old Testament and the New Testament, says there are none righteous, no, not one. Everyone's sinned. Our sins are like a pile. Uh, the best we can do is like a pile of dirty rags before God. And so we've all fallen short of the glory of God. He, he knows that. He's not saying, he's, he's saying to these guys, I didn't come to call you because you think you're righteous. I came to call sinners. So he's calling, he's calling. And it's a universal call to every person who's ever walked this earth. And the call is come follow me. The way you respond to that call is you turn from your sins, recognize your sin, and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and ask him to be your savior. I'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of the service. And that's the universal call. But then God's got a specific call in each one of our lives too. Some of you are mothers. He's got a call for you as a mom. 
Some of you are employees. He's got a call for you as an employee. Some of you own your own business. He's got a call for you as the owner of the business. Some of you are police officers. He's got a call for you as a police officer. Some of you go to the the coffee shop. He's got a call for you at that coffee shop. He's got specific calls for you. But even in all all of those specific calls, there's something true universally for all of us. Even though we all come from different backgrounds, have different educations, live in different neighborhoods, all that stuff. He's got one general truth, and it's our first point today, is this. That when Jesus calls, he calls you out of your comfort zone. The Jesus call calls you from your comfort zone. It always does. It's not just this passage here with Levi, so you know that I'm not just proof texting, grabbing this passage and saying this universal truth. You see it all throughout the Bible. And so if you're familiar with the Bible, then you know some of these names. If you're not, there's this guy in the Old Testament. His name is Moses. He lives in Pharaoh's palace. he's, He's the prince of Egypt. Not just the cartoon. It's really in the Bible. He's the prince of Egypt. And he gets called out of that to go lead some grumbling slaves in the wilderness. I, would, I don't know, I'm not Moses, but I'm gonna say that's probably out of your comfort zone. Gideon, Gideon's a guy in the Old Testament. He's got a whole army, tens of thousands of guys. And God says, you got too many men. I want you to go against a, a much bigger army. And so we're gonna whittle your army down to 300. That would be out of my comfort zone. Peter, he gets called here in, in the beginning of this chapter to come follow Jesus, the general call that we all receive. But then you see that God keeps calling with specific calls. There's a time where he's in the, in the New Testament a little bit later where he's in a boat. He's a fisherman. He's inside a boat. And Jesus calls him to come outside the boat in the middle of a storm. Now, I'm not a fisherman. I don't know hardly anything about fishing. But if I've got a perfectly good boat and there's a storm, I'm probably not, st- hey, you know what? I think I'm going to do better out here. No. He's calling him out of his comfort zone. Abraham, go. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going. Just step out from a life, successful life. You're a very wealthy man, happy marriage. And I want, you to, I want you to step out and just start following me. And you don't even know me yet. That's always calling us out of our comfort. Jonah, I want you to go preach to some people that you hate. You're a racist, you're a bigot, and I want you to go preach to the people that you hate, Jonah. That's what God does. He's always calling us out of our comfort zone, and he does it here with Levi. And he's going to do it with you and maybe some of you today. Think about what he did here in this passage. Just try and imagine what's happening here. It says after this, what after what? Right after he healed that paralytic. Because what happens is after those guys drop the paralytic through the ceiling and, and then Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he knows what we're thinking. That's a little scary, just so you know. And he realizes the uptight religious people there, they're upset that he just said that he can forgive sins because by saying that you can forgive sins, you're claiming to be God, and Jesus was. And he was claiming to be God here. And then he says, so that you know, because he knows some of them are doubting, so you know that I have the authority to forgive sins, get up and walk. The guy gets up, he starts doing kiki do you love me out the door or whatever their version was at that time. He's hop, he's dancing out the door. Everyone's pumped because look at verse 26. If you don't think that's in the Bible, I'll read it to you right here. I paraphrase a little bit, but still. Luke chapter five, verse 26, an amazement sees them. Who? Even the religious people that were ticked sees them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things. This isn't a normal day today. We've seen something amazing. After this, Jesus goes on a walk. Mark chapter 2 tells the same story, gives us some details that Luke doesn't tell us. In Mark chapter 2, we find out that Jesus is walking along the beach. And there are people coming, and he's teaching. But it's interesting, in in Mark's account and in Luke's account, we don't get one word that he teaches here. Oftentimes, don't we learn more from example than we do from words? It says what Jesus did is he saw a man. 
The word for saw there, it implies a, a pregnant pause. And so Jesus, the master teacher, he knows how to pause long enough that everybody feels a little awkward. Like right there, like a little bit too long, right? A little bit too long. Can you imagine when Jesus is walking along the shore, he's got people coming from all walks of life, all these people coming, for, you know, figure out this dispute in my marriage, help me and my brother with this inheritance. What about this situation? Can you heal my cousin? And all this stuff's happening around Jesus. And he's at a high point in his ministry. He's just taught to a packed house. Everyone was amazed. Everyone saw extraordinary things. He can call anyone he wants to come follow him. Who would you call? In your mind, if you're trying to start a revolutionary ministry that's going to impact lives for thousands of years after this, that's why you're here today. Who would you call? Star athlete? Like, we've always loved athletes, right? For some reason, we care who they vote for and all kinds of stuff. I don't know why, but we do. Celebrities? Some philosophy, somebody who's a really good orator, maybe he'd call them because he's going to teach them all this stuff and he wants them to go out and share the stuff. And, but did you see what it said in the passage? A tax collector. Anybody here a tax collector? I just want to know before I offend you. <laughs> so, no one likes tax collectors. Just so you know, no one likes tax collectors today, okay? But no one liked tax collectors then. It was even worse. Imagine this situation. Imagine ISIS comes over and takes over here in America, breaks into your house, does some terrible things to your family. And then your next door neighbor comes over the next day and says, hey, I'm raising money for ISIS. That's a tax collector. Rome ruled the day. Rome ruled the world. But as a Jew, you could start your own business. You could start your own franchise and have a tax collector's booth. And you guaranteed a certain amount was going to get paid back to Rome, but no one knew what that amount was. And everything you could get above that was for you. And so what Levi did at some point in his life, he decided that the single most important thing in his entire life was financial security. Because if you were a tax collector, you couldn't go worship at the synagogue. Everyone despised you. You were considered unclean. In fact, your family didn't even like you. You were a traitor. Not only were you a thief, you were a traitor. And he made a conscious choice. That's what he wanted more than anything else. And Jesus looks at him. Imagine that pregnant pause. Imagine you're Levi. No one likes you. You are the outcast of all outcasts. What do you think Jesus is about to say to you? He's standing there with some fishermen. You've stolen money from multiple fishermen throughout your entire life. Words of condemnation, words of shame. Nope. Jesus says, you, because he says it to everyone. And it's the calling, if you think that you're not good enough to go to church, if you think that you're too bad for God to love you, if you think whatever it is that's happening in your life, he says, you follow me. And he says it to Levi. But imagine being Levi there. Because we don't know next. We know what he does. It says leaving everything. There's no going back, by the way. This is huge. This is a big sacrifice. This is a lot of money he's walking away from. And there's no turning back. If you're a fisherman and you walk away from a fishing business, you can go back to your fishing business. If you're a tax collector, you aren't going back. Rome's not happening to you. What we don't know is how long he sat there before he got up. Sometimes we read this verse almost like this is the first time he's ever seen Jesus too. And kind of impulsively, he just goes, I'm, I'm out of here. Like, who does that? See, this happens in Capernaum, which is Jesus' home base for ministry. And Levi, if he's like most of us, I mean, almost everybody here has probably had moments where you thought to yourself, did I choose the right path? Is this what I'm supposed to be doing? Did I do the right thing? Is financial security really the thing? Was I, did I really want to give up family? And I really want to give up... And some of you have probably done that before. And maybe you're a police officer or a teacher or a lawyer or whatever it is. We just all come to that spot where there's moments of contemplation. And let me tell you something. Oftentimes our moments of contemplation are moments of preparation. 
that God's working in those moments. And so some of you right now, you might not be being called to step out of your comfort zone, but God's preparing you for when he is going to call you because he begins a good work in you and he'll be faithful to complete it. So he keeps calling you, by the way. It's not just that first call. He keeps calling. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. But let's be honest. I'll be honest with you. When my life's going really well, I mean, I live in North Raleigh. It's not like I'm getting my head chopped off for being a Christian. There's all kinds of comforts, all kinds of conveniences. I mean, I love Jesus. I want Jesus in my life. But when things are going well, sometimes I'll start to act like, I don't verbally say it, I don't really need Jesus. It's nice to have him, but I don't need him. As soon as he calls me out of my comfort zone, do you know what it is? Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. It's like that happens there. And so where do you think God, if, God, if it's impossible to please God without faith, you think God wants you just sitting in your comfort zone for trust Jesus and then 40 years of just cruising along? He's going to keep calling us. But what is it that comes between you and Jesus from responding? We don't know for how long, but Levi, it was a tax collector's booth. At one time, he made a conscious choice, financial security, more important than anything else. Jesus says, follow me. What are you going to do now? For Peter, earlier in this passage, some of you are familiar with the story. What's standing between Jesus and Peter? He's got a fishing net. And oftentimes we don't think about how Peter, he was successful. He had multiple boats, fishing partners. He's cleaning his nets, and Jesus says, you come follow me. You can drop your nets, you can come follow me. What would it be for you? And I got a box of things over here that are some potential things that it could be. One of them's a net here. I don't think anybody here is probably a fisherman. I know that I'm not a fisherman. I was told that by the people in the first service that I don't know how to throw this out. Um, But here, I got this fishing net, and I think about if if Jesus said, come follow me, and I got my net. I I love the Travis's. I'm just kidding. I don't want to hurt anybody. Thank you. Thank you for being willing. I'm just kidding. It does have a string on it. Jesus said, come follow me. Maybe, maybe, a, maybe it's not a fishing net for you, but what's your safety net? Because that's what we see Peter. He actually sins. He goes back later. And then Jesus calls him from that and restores him from that too. And what would it be for you? For some of you, your safety net might be your family. It might be your savings account. It might be some talent that you have that you always fall back on, some relationship. Maybe you go to mom and dad, always bail you out. What, what is it? Jesus said, you come follow me, you drop the nets. Maybe it's something else. Think about our passage of scripture here. For Levi, it was financial security. Maybe it's for you, it's financial security too. And here's the deal. What I'm talking about right now is really our idols in life. A lot of times when people hear idols, they think of little statues in the Old Testament that people bow down to. No, here's, here's what an idol is. An idol is when something, and it can even be a good thing, becomes the ultimate thing in your life. You put it in the place of God. It dictates your decisions. It actually controls your life. And for some of you, it, there are Bible passages you can find that will talk about financial stewardship. You should plan for your retirement, and you should be a good steward with the resources you have. And I'm not saying that's not true. But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, it's no longer a good thing. And if financial security is what you filter all of your decisions through, it's probably your comfort zone, which is another way to say you're idle. And that's what it was for Levi. Maybe it's not that. I got some other things in the box that might apply to us. Somebody came up to me at their first service and said, you know what pastors never talk about when they talk about idols? They never talk about food. Now, here's the reality. We all got to eat. Food's a good thing. Everybody who had a donut, say amen. Oh, you ate more donuts than that. I saw the table. Come on. (laughs) But how do you relate with food? That's the question. Is it an escape? Is it your source of comfort? It's just a thing you do. You know, and if God calls you to relate different, you step away and relate different with food. 
Or, or maybe, and probably, I bet most of you, if I said, hey, what's next? Nobody's probably guessing this. About religion. We're here in, in, in our church today, and at this building, it's great to have this building, and it's a great resource, but some of you are like, hey, this is the, I can just come to this place now, and I can be with my people, and it's all my people who think like I think and talk like I talk, and, and maybe religion's become a comfort zone for you. And Jesus' call in your life is, I want you to come outside these walls. I want you to relate with people that don't think like you, that don't talk like you, that don't believe like you. Because we're on a mission. The Amber Alert was sent. Did you just silence it? There's other stuff in the box, and we could probably do this all day, but I'll grab one more. That's a picture. That's a picture for me, a picture of my family. Certainly a temptation. And maybe you would be a different relationship. But relationships can be idolatrous in our lives. And so some of you, it might be dad. Some of you are, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old and you're still living to please your dad. And he's dead. You've put your dad in the place of God. And that's not wrong to have a good relationship with your dad. Some of you with your spouse or your soon-to-be spouse or your hopeful spouse. And by the way, if you're sitting over here and you're hoping for a spouse, they're over here. So just talk to a lot of people today. It won't be the friendliest church ever. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with wanting somebody to be your spouse, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting to meet someone and have a relationship. But when you put that person in the place of Jesus in your life, that's an idol. And Jesus is going to call you out of that. For some of you in relationships, he's going to call you to end those relationships. For some of you in relationships, you're not supposed to end He's going to call you to relate different in those relationships. But whatever he calls you to do, can I guarantee you, it will require courage. But if you're walking by faith, there's no reason to fear because you're following Jesus. Well, if he calls you to step out, it will require courage. But if you're following Jesus, outside of the boat, Peter, to a place I don't even know where you're leading me, God, Abraham... You want me to fight and you want me to under-resource myself on purpose to step out and fight for you, God, Gideon. Levi, you want, I'll mess up your ministry. What do you think Levi's thinking? It takes courage, but there's nothing to fear. You're following Jesus. Our church is a story of people walking by faith. I remember when we moved here, uh, the first step of faith was coming to a city that we had never lived in before. And my wife and I, we didn't know how people would respond. We just wanted to be a church that made a big deal about Jesus and wanted people to know he's real. And we didn't want to talk about politics or denominations or all the stuff that a lot of times churches talk about. We say, let's just make a big deal about Jesus and watch him actually genuinely transform people's lives. And we didn't know if people like that or not here. And I remember when I first moved here, meeting a spiritual leader who told me, you know, you, there's a bunch of people that are just, and he's, he's in this time, he told me I could share the story before, so I'll say it's Danny Aiken, he's the president of the seminary on Southeaster. He said, you know, the problem with a bunch of people is they go to churches, they got graduates from our seminary, they don't believe the Bible. It's a bunch of Christian social clubs, they gather together. And so I thought, I don't know if people want, I don't know if they want, but then people started coming, and you know what happened? God started transforming people's lives. But that wasn't going to be the last step of faith. Our church has to keep taking steps of faith. If you've been with us, you see there's been a journey. And sometimes there's detours on the journey, and sometimes there's ups and downs and victories. But you know what God's done the whole time? Change lives. I think most recently, how ironic, I told you I'd tell you why it was ironic that we canceled services last week because it snowed. Well, let me tell you a little story that about a handful of people at our church know. Uh, in December 4th last year, my wife reminded me of this last week, I sent a letter on behalf of the Southbridge elders to the elders of Covenant Church and asked them if they would consider selling their building to us. And that was a little bit over a year ago now, so you can see a lot of stuff has happened in a year's time frame. And I got a response back from them. They said, our building's not for sale, but it's not our building. So why don't we get together and just talk about what God's doing at your church, talk about what God's doing in our church. And we set up our first meeting. It was in January. 
And I'm going to tell you a little transparency about some of the elders of Southbridge, just so you know. Two of them specifically, they're from the south, and that's why they do this. Um, Not when it snows, when there's anticipation of precipitation, (laughs) I always get a text message or call from one of these two guys. In this one's case, it was J.D. Henserling. Bless his heart. He's from Texas. (laughs) He's a lawyer. He might sue me for slander in a minute, but we're just going to keep going with this. He calls me. About the story, not the lawsuit, I'm sure. He calls me up. It's snowing. We're going to get together and meet with these elders from this other church. We never met them before. It's snowing outside. He calls me up and says, are we still going? I'm like, they haven't canceled. I'm from Michigan. I'll walk. Like if they're thinking about maybe selling our building, I'll, I'll go meet with them. I'm, gonna, I'm going. You, don't, you do what you need to do. Bless your heart from Houston. But yeah, I'm going. The North Carolina people are stronger in Texas, right? Anyway, we'll figure that out later. So we go and we meet. It snows. They say they want to sell their building. We're going to pray about what God's doing, how he's leading. Schedule another meeting. We get together the second time. Guess what happened? It snowed. Schedule a third meeting in March. We don't live in Canada, FYI, if you're watching online. It doesn't snow here very much. We got more snow, I think, last week than we did the whole time living here. We get together at this, one of the elders of Covenant's houses, and all the wives were coming, and It snowed. <laughs> We just started laughing. We started joking about a verse of scripture in First Chronicles chapter 22. It's in verse 11. It talks about a guy who follows a lion into a pit on a snowy day and kills the lion. It took courage. Because we felt like what we were doing would take courage. Because we didn't know of another church in, in the whole Raleigh area that ever. We were a Baptist church talking about having a, a historically charismatic church join with us. We'd be the first Baptocostal church in all of Raleigh, right? Yeah, for sure. You can give the Lord a hand for that. But you're clapping today. We didn't know if you were going to throw tomatoes when we announced it to the church. Like, we didn't know what was going to happen. And so it took courage. But there was nothing to fear because Jesus was leading. You just got to follow where Jesus leads. And that's not, by the way, that's the current step we're in. That's not the last step of faith. There'll be more steps of faith for this church corporately. And there are steps of faith for you individually. For some of you, he's calling you. You know why? Because Jesus is still calling. And when he calls you, he calls you out of your comfort zone. But not only does Jesus call, Jesus also cleanses. We see it throughout this passage, in fact. You can go all the way back to that. Even Peter, when he's standing there with his nets, he gets called to, he realizes his need for cleansing. There's a, there's a verse in there that you have to see. Think about if you're Peter, all of you who own businesses or are managers of businesses or leaders in, in big corporations, IBM, SAS, whatever, all these different businesses that are here. Imagine that you've got a business decision to make, you're probably not going to call me. Like you call your pastor, you want to talk about a relationship, something's going on in your marriage, you want to know what Bible, book of the Bible should I be reading, pastor? Like, but you don't go like, should we merge with this other company? Should I, should I step out and start my own business? Like that doesn't usually happen. Jesus is in this boat, he's just been teaching spiritual truths to people and he looks over at Peter and starts to tell him how to run his business. Throw these nets out the, out the other side. If I'm Peter, I'm all... I, Talk, I, you're a great Bible teacher, Jesus. He does it. There's a miraculous catch. If I'm Peter, you know what I'm doing? Jesus, we got a good thing here. I got the nets. You got the ideas. Like, this is going to roll with this. Do you know what Peter does? You read it? It's in, the, it's in Luke chapter 5. Look at it. Luke chapter 5. I'll put the verse up there. You got the verse, guys? Luke chapter 5. He says, away from me. I am a sinful man. Go away. 
And what you see in the Bible is that when people have an encounter with the living God, they always, they recognize he's holy and we are not. That means we need cleansing. To be unclean in the Bible does not mean hygienically unclean. It means you're not worthy to be in the presence of God. You see it with Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 6. If you want to know if there's more than just this one spot, Isaiah chapter 6. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people with unclean lips. Jesus' best friend on earth was a guy named John, writes the Gospel of John. He also writes a book called Revelation at the end of the Bible. And he talks about having an encounter with the risen Christ in that book. Read chapter 1, verses 17 and 18. He says, I fell down as though dead when he saw Christ. And here, Peter, he realized, I'm not worthy to be in your presence because I'm a sinner and you are the Lord. Theme of cleansing. The next part of the passage, there's a leper. You know what it's like to be a leper? Let me help you imagine what it's like to be a leper really quick. Think about the worst thing you've ever done. I'm not going to ask you to say it or write it down. I'm not going to manipulate you, I promise. But think about the most shameful thing that's either been done to you or that you've ever done in your life that you hope no one ever knows. Maybe it was years ago. Now imagine whenever you go somewhere in public, you have to announce that thing to people. You walk into Publix the first time, adulterer, adulterer, because you cheated on your spouse five, ten years ago. You've got a porn issue. When you come into church today, pornography, pornography, everybody's like, what? Gossip, gossip, can't keep my mouth shut, want to be my friend? <laughs> like, what do you, what, what, imagine what, whatever your thing is, like, thief, thief, liar, liar, like you had to announce. In the Bible, they believe that you had leprosy because of your sin. Wherever you went, you had to announce that you were unclean, unclean. It's why when this man comes before Jesus, probably disfigured, he's had leprosy for some time, and he falls before Jesus, probably not a graceful fall. He doesn't say, Jesus, heal me. Did you see it? Luke chapter 5, verse 12. It says, while he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. He's had it for a while. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can. He doesn't doubt Jesus' ability. He wonders about Jesus' willingness. Let me tell you something. Jesus is always willing. If you need to be cleansed today, Jesus is willing. He is able. He is willing. He says, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. That's significant and scandalous. Because anytime somebody gets touched that's unclean, a dead body, a leper, someone like that, what happens is the person who touches them becomes unclean. But when Jesus touches someone who's unclean, they become clean. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus stretched out his hand. He touched him saying, I will be clean. I am willing. You be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And I already told you the story of the paralytic. Why does Jesus start with forgiveness? Because that's the real issue. He needs to be cleansed. And then you've got Levi. When Levi leaves the tax collector's booth, that's a sign of repentance. I'm leaving the old behind and I'm walking to the new. That's what repentance is, by the way. Sometimes we think repentance is just this church word. It's kind of the hellfire and brimstone. You've got to repent. Here's what it is. It means that you were doing your own thing. That's sin. Definition of sin is that we rebel against God. It means that we think, we think what we know is right and we do that in our own eyes, but it's not what God says. And so what we're doing is we're going away from God and repentance is stop going away from God, turn back to him and go to God. That's what Levi does. But here's the thing. To be cleansed, you have to know you have a need. And throughout this passage, what you recognize is everybody, they recognize their need. Peter, he knew he was unworthy. Away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. The leper knew he was unclean. If you're willing, make me clean. The paralytic He knew he was unable. 
as his friends carry him up on top of that roof and lower him before Jesus. And Levi, Levi was a tax collector. He knew he was undeserving. You know, in our church, historically, we've had people cleansed from all kinds of sins. The Bible says if, you're, if you confess your sins, he's faithful. He's just. He will forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And we've had people with sexual addictions cleansed from their sins. We've had people with uh, drug addictions. We have marriages that have been reconciled. We have all kinds of stuff happen. Do you know who the hardest people are, though? It's the religious people. It's the people that are like at the end of this passage when, when they come to Jesus and they say, why are you with these sinners? That they think that they're righteous. And so they don't realize their actual need. And if you're going to be cleansed, you have to realize your need to be cleansed. I remember one guy sat down with me. His name is Jeff Heilman. Jeff is a member of our church now and maybe helped you find your seat today when you were coming in. Jeff's a highly intelligent guy and grew up in church, in fact. In fact, his dad's a pastor, pastor of three different churches. He's got a story where when he came home from the hospital, he went to seminary housing. So he's never been away from the church. Like they, they were living in a trailer park outside of a Bible college, and then he never left church from that point on. And came to our church a few years ago in 2016, came, started coming to Southbridge and liked it, liked the small groups, liked the people. Sometimes I would say stuff that didn't quite jive with his life. He decided he was going to set up a meeting with me, and he had had this meeting with other people before. So he believed that he believed in Jesus, believed Jesus died for his sins. You know what? Even demons believe that, and they're, they're not going to heaven. But he always felt like something was missing in his life highly intelligent, and so he thought maybe faith isn't real, and so he investigated his faith. Is there real evidence for it? Found that there was, but it didn't fix the void in his life. And then he decided to go down another path, and one of the other paths he went down, I won't tell you his whole story, but he went down a path of trying to find his greater purpose in life, and he pursued that for a while and found different purposes, and do you know what he says about that? Some of you are down that trail right now. He said, all that did was it inflated my own self-importance and didn't fill that void. So he sat down with me, and we're talking about it, and he's telling me about some of the things I'm saying. It's not exactly lined up. He's wondering if he's a cultural Christian. And I just asked him the question. I said, Jeff, have you ever repented? He's a really smart guy. He sidestepped my question. Meeting ended up. We wrapped up. We prayed. He went home. A couple months later, he had been reading the book of Job. He got down on his knees, and he repented of his sins. He didn't tell me right away. A few months after that, he contacts me. He says, Scott, I repented of my sins. And he says, I, I realize now that it's possible to be around church for almost 40 years. He was 39 years old at the time. Almost 40 years. And never have my sin dealt with. He believed the right stuff, but it never dealt with his sin. And said, now I want, I want anyone else that might be playing around with Christianity like that to know this. I want my kids to know this, how freeing it is to have your sins dealt with. And now he doesn't have that feeling that something's missing. Because Christianity begins with repentance, of turning from your sin, but it continues on. In fact, uh, Levi here, he, he starts to follow Jesus. That's actually in the imperfect tense, and that means this, that he began to follow Jesus. That means there are continual steps. And so some of you, you've repented of your sin 30 years ago, and now you're in cruise control. No, he's still calling you out of your comfort zone. Part of that process is he continues to deal with sin in your life. You still need cleansing. Not because you're not saved, because you need fellowship with God. He, he is faithful. He is just. Not because of you but you have to confess, and he will cleanse you. Do you need to be cleansed today? Not only does he cleanse, not only does he call, but he also commissions. We see it here with Levi. Do you see what he does? It's so interesting what Levi does. See, that's our third point, by the way. Those of you who are taking notes, that Jesus, he, when he calls you, he commissions you. He calls you, he cleanses you, and then he commissions you for his mission. It's the Amber Alert that goes out. 
And we see it here with Levi. Levi does what comes natural to him. Notice no one tells him, hey, go get all your friends, and we're going to have a party, and then partway through we're going to do a little devotional. No, just come, come meet this guy who changed my life. His name's Jesus. He's like the woman at the well. I mean, this man, he changed my life. He's like Andrew when he goes and grabs Peter. And nobody said, hey, Andrew, now we're going to do a discipleship class, and you've got to pick five people, and over the next month I want you to tell them about Jesus. He's just like, no, my life has been transformed. You've got to come meet the guy. Come meet Jesus. That's what Levi does. But look at what Levi does. He has this banquet. And who does he gather together? It's other tax collectors and other sinners. Because that's who he knows. That's who he's with. Prostitutes. Shepherds. Criminals. People that aren't allowed to go to the synagogue. In fact, it's interesting if you read later in the Gospel of Luke, there's a banquet that's talked about. It's a picture of the kingdom of God. And when when I see it, I think, I hope that's what our church is like. I hope that our church can be a place, because everybody gets invited, but you know who doesn't come? It's the people who think they have it all together. You know, when I, when I dream about our church, I hope that our church does not become this place where it's like, hey, I'm a realtor in town, and I want to meet some other people, I'm going to go to this Southbridge, hand out my card. It's like, the, it's one of the things that Southern Christianity can be so, like, just the cultural thing to do. I'm running for office, I think I better pop into Southbridge, because that's like the social scene to be. You know, we want to be a place where people can be set free from addictions. Do you know what that means? People with addictions have to feel free to come to this place. We want to be a place where doubters and skeptics can be. Do you know what that means? It's got to be okay for us to disagree with one another and still be in the same room. And so that means that if I believe something's true from the Bible, you're not believing it. Then I don't have to yell at you to make you believe it. You not believing doesn't change that it's true. We've got to give each other space to have that. Some of you are super convicted about something in your life that you didn't even know existed five years ago. How about we can give each other space that we're not all at the same spot and be a community of grace or doubters and skeptics can come. If somebody's going to be set free from a sexual sin, then people in sexual sin have to have the vulnerability to be able to talk about that. If a marriage is going to be reconciled, we've got to be a place that's authentic enough where it's actually okay to have problems in your marriage. You don't have to come and pretend like everything's all good. That's the kind of people we have here in this passage. How do we become that kind of place? I think we've got to do what Levi did. We've got to come to grips with the fact that we don't fix anybody. Because what Levi does here, he doesn't go around and start trying to fix all of his friends. Do you notice that? He just says, hey, I've got to get you to the guy who transformed me, Jesus. What does Jesus call himself here? He calls himself a physician. Hey, doctor doesn't come for healthy people. Doctor comes for sick people. He talks about himself like he's the physician. He's a great physician. He'll deal with the real issues of your life. So imagine this with me for a moment. Imagine you have uh, an incurable disease, awful disease, whatever disease would pop into your mind. And you go to the doctor, and the doctor tells you you've got two options. There's no cure, and you can do nothing, and you will die quickly. We don't know exactly how long. Five weeks, five months, we don't know. Or you can get treatment, and the treatment's going to make you miserable. But it'll prolong your life. You're still going to die. But you might have some more memories with your kids, but it's going to be miserable. And you go home, and you're debating, what do I do? And then somebody comes and says, there's a doctor, but there's only one. And he has the cure. But you have to do what he says. Do you go? Of course you go. Of course you go. And you do what he says. And your disease is cured. And then you hear about someone else who has your disease. Ah, they're going to be good. You tell them? Of course you tell them. You get them to the doctor as fast as you can. 
It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who can deal with our hearts. And once he transforms our hearts, then he'll flip our worlds upside down. And then he'll keep calling. He'll keep calling. He'll keep calling you out of your comfort zone. He'll keep cleansing, and he keeps commissioning you. Some of you, he's calling you today. Some of you, he's calling you to trust Jesus as your Savior. Some of you, he's calling you to take a next step of faith. Will you step out? Will you do something as a result of what you've heard today? Some of you need to be cleansed today. I'm going to tell you how to do that in just a moment. Some of you, you, you know that, and you're walking with the Lord. What does the commissioning mean? Well, we got Compassion Sunday here today. You got an opportunity to make a disciple around the world today. How amazing is that of God's timing at our church? We weren't planning on having the grand opening and the commissioning at the same place, but our prayer is that this place would be a beacon of hope, not only for this community, but for the world. This would be a sending spot to impact the world. You got an opportunity to do that in the lobby today and with your neighbors and probably with some of the people you'll ride home with in the car, those of you who will ride home with your family. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your son Jesus is still calling. Thank you that he didn't just leave us here. Thank you that he's still cleansing. Thank you that he's still commissioning. God, call. Call some people in this room right now. Call them to step out. Call some of them to repent of their sin and turn from their idols. Call some of them to, to, to come and take that next step of faith. Some of them might mean leaving a career. It might mean some sacrificial thing financially. It might mean relating differently in a relationship. God, I don't know. You do. Will you tap on hearts right now? Will you speak to hearts and say, this is what I'm saying to you. This is what I'm saying to you. Some of you need to experience cleansing, cleansing from your sins. Some of you might need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. You know, the Bible tells you how to do this. As the wages of our sin, we're all sinners. Every one of us. We've all fallen short of God's standard, which is perfection. But he offers us a gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And he even tells us how to accept that gift. He says, if you believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead, do you believe that Jesus, when he died on the cross, was taking care of your sins, was dying for your sins, was shedding his blood so you could be cleansed for your sins, and then rose from the dead so death didn't hold him? He can offer you life, eternal life, real life. If you believe that, then he says, then confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Have him take over your life. Have him sit in the throne room. Have him sit in the main seat. Have him be in the spot where maybe the idols were at at one point. And if you want to trust Jesus as your Savior right now, will you pray this prayer with me? Dear God, I acknowledge my sin before you. I know that I'm a sinner. And I believe that your son Jesus died for that sin. And you just pray those words. You can pray it in your own words. So pray that, that. You believe that Jesus died for your sins. And, and God, Right now, in this moment, I want to ask your son, Jesus Christ, to be my Savior. I want to ask Jesus to be your Savior right now. And if you do that, if you're doing that right now, I just want to ask you before you leave today, that, that card I mentioned for our guests to fill out and take out to the first-time guest town, would you just mark on there that you trusted Jesus as your Savior? We want to send you some resources on how you can grow in a relationship. And can I give you one more challenge? I know I've said a lot of stuff to you today, but would you tell someone today before you go to sleep, would you tell someone that you trusted Jesus as your Savior? Maybe somebody that you think might be praying for you or somebody who invited you here to church or you come tell me, I'll be hanging out at the front after the service. Just tell them that you trusted Jesus verbally. Mark it on your card, but tell them verbally. And Father, I pray for those that have trusted Jesus but need to experience your cleansing anew. God, I pray right now they would confess their sins and you'd cleanse them. We know your, bio, your word it already, already promises that to be true. I pray that they would turn from sin. And Father, I pray for those that need to take a step of faith, that you would call them out, call them out of the boat, call them out of their comfort zone, call them to that next step. And Father, for all of us then that have responded to your calling and to your cleansing, that you'd commission us and send us out and show us your mission. The Amber Alert's been announced. Help us not to ignore it, but to go on mission for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.